I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Chad Griffiths. Uh, Chad, thanks for coming on the show today. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to talk uh, everything industrial real estate. Yeah, uh, me too, me too. Chad's an industrial real estate broker um, and an active investor. And so um, we talked a little bit before we started recording, but but you're the first guest we've had uh, on the show that has is uh, in the industrial real estate space. So I, it's something that's interesting to me on a personal level. It's something that I, I definitely would would be happy to get into, uh, but also I think it'd just be really cool to kind of, um, you know, dive in and see, you know, any, anything you can share with us. I would say before we get into the nuts and bolts, can you just give us a little bit of your background and kind of where you're, uh, where you started, how you got started and, and um, you know, kind of your path forward? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I got into industrial real estate in 2005 uh, as a broker. And I, I thought I was actually going to be working in, in some of the more common asset classes. Like I thought I'd be working with office towers or perhaps shopping centers. And it just so happened the brokerage that I joined was heavily focused on industrial real estate. So just by pure accident and by luck, I'd actually say, because it's, it's turned out to be a really good accident. Uh, I, I just got into industrial real estate by virtue of everybody else in that office was working out of it. So that was in 2005, uh, still at the same company that, that I've been at since 2005, uh, since became a partner at the firm. Uh, and in 2014, uh, that, that was actually the year I became a partner and I started investing in my own portfolio as well. So with a, a business partner of mine and several other uh, passive investors that we have, we've been actively investing in industrial real estate, trying to add uh, a property every year. Uh, started with a very small industrial, uh, like a condominium bay actually, uh, and have been escalating that every year. Uh, earlier this year, I'm actually about about uh, two weeks ago, so late 2021, we closed on a on a 4.1 million dollar sale. So we've been growing our portfolio over time, and and kind of just hoping to add add a property a year. But uh, I I love industrial real estate. I I think about it all the time. I work in it. I've got the majority of my net worth uh, invested in it, uh, and I just follow it pretty actively. So there there is virtually nothing that I won't talk about when it comes to industrial real estate. Awesome, awesome. Uh, yeah, I'll probably, like I said, I'm, I'm very interested on a personal level. I'll probably ask some, maybe you might consider them silly questions just to, to define things, but I'm, I'm really excited to dive into it. But I guess let's maybe first, let's just start with what would you define it for us? Like, what do you, you know, with all of the different real estate asset classes, can you define industrial real estate and what, what your focus on it? Yeah. And, and even before I get into that, I would say don't feel bad whatsoever about not ha having uh, much knowledge about industrial because there's really no reason that the average investor would have knowledge about an industrial. It's not like uh, you're, you're taught that in school. Uh, right. In fact, there's very, re very little reason that you'd even be inside of a warehouse unless you worked in one or you were picking something up. So industrial is kind of that abstract concept. And I heard it described very well the other day 
by, by a, a, an astute real estate investor who said, the only thing I know about industrial real estate is when I make a wrong turn on the road and I end up in an industrial park and I'm just trying to get my bearings on how I get back onto the highway. Uh, and and that, that's a guy that owns a considerable amount of real estate and he still had very little knowledge about it. Uh, so I, I would say it's definitely become more prevalent over the years. When I started in 2005, uh, a lot of people, my friends and family had no idea what it was. And, and I tried to explain it to them and, and they just couldn't even conceptualize it because it was such an abstract notion. Uh, but now we're starting to see uh, Amazon fulfillment centers all over. And I'm sure there's one in your market. Uh, in my market, they just built a million square foot uh, uh, facility right by the airport. So we're seeing these big fulfillment distribution center type of buildings going up all over the place on busy roads, uh, major areas. So it's becoming a lot more prevalent in people's mind. Uh, but that's only one portion of it. Uh, I'd like to break up industrial real estate into three subcategories. So the first one would be that warehousing and distribution type of industrial real estate. And those are just big, big buildings designed to store things. So there could be racks of storage. Uh, there, there could just be shelves, there could be equipment, there could be anything that's being stored in there. But the whole intent on that is that things will come into the property, they get stored for some period of time, and then they get shipped out. So that's really what an Amazon fulfillment center is. And there can be a full spectrum on sizes of those. Uh, there, there could be a 2000 square foot condo bay, like the first one that I bought, all the way up to a million square foot Amazon fulfillment center. Uh, the other uh, main category would be manufacturing properties. And th those are all the, the buildings where things are made or produced or manufactured. And an example I really like to give is the Boeing factory uh, in uh, just outside of Seattle and Everett. So 4 million square foot building, which is like almost unfathomable at how big 4 million square feet is under a single roof. picture. It, yeah, it, it's, it's astonishing. Like there, there's footage of it. If you, if you go on a YouTube or just look online to see the Boeing uh, Everett factory, it is incredible how big this 4 million square foot uh, building is, but essentially all the raw materials come in, all the metal and all the materials that, that go into making an airplane come to the building, it's manufactured inside, produced into these uh, massive airplanes, and then shipped out to the end end customer. That's kind of that manufacturing side of industrial real estate. And again, it can go from a 2000 square foot bay where, where someone makes small widgets, all the way up to a 4 million square foot, massive manufacturing facility for airplanes. And then the third one uh, it would be flex and flex is kind of all that it's, I use that as a catch all term for all the properties that are zoned industrial. So the municipality will, will designate that building for industrial purposes, but it's not necessarily conducive specifically for warehousing or manufacturing. And there's a ton of different uses that can go in there. You can see car dealerships, you can see churches, you can see bottle depots, self-storage, anything, almost anything you could imagine that's like a traditional retail or even a, an office use can go into some industrial zonings. So you, you have a building that looks like an industrial building, it's zoned industrial, but there's an office user that's that's in there. So that's kind of that flex category of, of industrial. And it's, it's the catch all for everything that's not manufacturing or warehousing. But when, once you kind of get, get your head around the fact that industrial is distinct in that regard, where you can have two different buildings that have two completely different uses in there, you start realizing how much potential there is for having to learn everything that's in there, because you, you wouldn't find that in an office building, right, or a shopping mall, you're not going to have two completely different companies that operate out of there, other than a retail store, they might have different things that they sell. 
but it's not a completely different use. And in office, you might have an accountant in one space and a lawyer in another, but fundamentally those aren't different uses. But in industrial, you could have completely different uses in two buildings that look exactly the same. Oh, that, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that description. I think that that's actually very helpful. And I, so when you're, so I, I, I actually like that you sort of invest in it and also you're a broker, cause that's obviously two, two different sides of the coin there. And I, I often, when I talk to brokers, I mean, the, the question that pops into my head always was like, why don't you just buy the deals? <laughs> like you, you, it's like brokers control the market. You have, you have, first access right first look at most everything and so it's like in my mind i see i i just imagine the brokers with all the opportunity to you know kind of snatch up all these deals so it's kind of a cool that you you are on both sides and, and we can dive into that too um but when you're so my understanding is you know sort of through through the whole covid the pandemic and everything like that is that really the two asset classes that have performed the best have been multifamily and industrial. Mm -hmm. And I've heard people say one or the other was, you know, sort of better. I'm not sure how, you know, probably depends on what market you're in and things like that. But I, I also saw, I have an Amazon fulfillment center very close to my house that was rec very recently built. And I'm not sure that I've ever seen anything any construction project happens so quickly. I don't know if that's because it's Amazon and they have sort of <laughs> infinite funds to go ahead and make that happen or, or if that's how uh, it just is in, in sort of industrial when they're, when they're putting up these structures because I assume they're a bit more of, if it, especially if it's warehouse and these fulfillment centers, it's just some walls and a roof and then you know a lot of storage in, inside. I know that's oversimplifying it, but maybe in terms of construction, it's not you know, you're not putting in bathrooms and kitchens and all of that. It's, it's a little bit less, but what do you, I guess, what kind of people do you feel like gravitate towards, you know, purchasing, investing in industrial uh, assets and, and like, how would you advise someone who wanted to get started in that space as an investor? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. You bring up the the comparison with multifamily and industrial doing so well uh, over the last, I mean, you could probably even say the last two years plus yeah. uh, is because you're right. I, I think other asset classes have had some challenges, offices, people haven't been going back to work as, as quickly right. as people would have liked retail. Everybody knows about the struggles with brick and mortar retailers. So that multifamily and industrial has done quite well. I think that that in itself is what tempts people to look at industrial is that, is that they hear that one asset class is doing well and that's just a natural human tendency to want to chase yield yeah. uh, and if, if people are, are seeing that opportunity then then they start exploring it further the trajectory i see a, quite often with investors that that get into industrial is that they typically have some experience in it already so perhaps they owned a company that that had occupied industrial real estate, their, their company was in it and they had some familiarity with what, what it took to have a, a functional building, or they had run the course of, of perhaps being frustrated with the multifamily side. And that could either be on a management standpoint and just how time intensive it is to manage a portfolio of multifamily properties uh, to just the challenges of dealing with residential tenants uh, of the constant turnover. Uh, so it, if you consider a a $4 million property uh, that, that we recently closed on versus a $4 million multi-tenant building, you're probably dealing with, I'm just hazarding a guess, 
25 to 30 tenants uh, in, a, in a $4 million multifamily building. Uh, obviously, it could, it could go either way, depending on, on the size and the area and all that. But if you're dealing with 25 to 30 residential tenants versus the one that we just closed on has five tenants, it's just a lot more it's a lot easier to deal with five commercial tenants, particularly since the shortest lease that we have in that uh, property is three years. Uh, so, and one we just renewed for, for five years. So they're longer term leases. We're only dealing with five tenants. The turnover isn't nearly as much. So there's, there's benefit for an investor that's just getting tired of dealing with residential tenants and everything that goes with that. That's not to say that one is necessarily better than the other. Uh, I know some very successful multifamily investors that that love the space. Their approach is that uh, it is so long as they're competitive with the market, people are always going to need a need a place to live. Your downside risk is basically undercut the next cheapest guy by fifty dollars a month, and you'll be able to, to to rent your spaces pretty easily. I think that there's a, there's a margin of safety in in multifamily that that doesn't necessarily exist in industrial because while there's there's pros and cons with investing or pros with investing in industrial there's the ancillary which is the the drawbacks or that uh, higher uh, degree of risk that comes with it. So I, I found that that's usually what it is uh, in my experience. Anyways, uh, uh, brokering uh, deals with new industrial investors is that they either had some experience with it uh, by operating out of the building, or they're just uh, other real estate investors who are attracted to some of those intangible and tangible benefits that that industrial can offer. And you you mentioned it, but what, what would you say, you kind of touched on the, the pros, but what would you say would be the cons of investing in industrial real estate? Uh, the, the, the downside risk. Uh, so I, I, I take the approach that that industrial real estate should actually be a scary proposition for a new investor. And that's probably contradictory to what, like what, what a lot of brokers would say, where they'd, they'd say industrial is great. Look at, look at all the news, how, how well things are going. I actually take the approach that industrial real estate should scare new investors. And, and I say that because there's so much more uh, potential for downside risk. And, and I'll give an example. Uh, let's say that it, there is a building that was custom built for, for a specific company. And let's say this company manufactured some type of consumer good that was unique to their operation. So whether it's the flow of the product or how the the machinery was positioned or the type of loading that had that had coming in there or the amount of yard space that they had or the ceiling height that was in there, if that building was custom built for that company and let's say the company did a 10-year lease uh, for that space uh, and an investor let's say came in halfway through that lease and bought the building with five years remaining on that lease, thinking that they're gonna get a company that had already been in there for five years, they had five years remaining on their lease. Uh, they got it at an attractive price where everything looked good on a pro forma. They, they, they forecasted out five years and just assume that it's gonna renew at that rate or perhaps even a little bit higher adjusted for inflation at that time. And they start modeling out, modeling out how good that can look. Well, what happens if that company leaves in five years, they don't renew their lease in five years, which can come pretty quickly in, in the context of a commercial deal. Uh, and now you're in a position where you own a building that was custom built for that specific type of company. And now you have to find a company that can either take over that specific build out that was made for that company before them, or you're going to have to put a sizable amount of money into retrofitting it for the next tenant. 
And a lot of people don't take that into account. They look at it and say, okay, well, I'm getting great cash flow, good company. I don't not even have to do anything for five years. And that's true. But if the scenario arises where you can't reposition it uh, for what you're expecting to five years down the road, and you'd have to lease it for less money, or you have to make a significant capital investment to bring it up to, uh, to a competitive level with other buildings, then all of a sudden your pro forma is meaningless because you've just had to make a, a considerable alteration to it. So I, I think that that's one example, but, and, and that's, that's an extreme example, but there's all types of, of similar types of examples where if you don't fully understand what you're buying and that space comes available at some point down the road, tenant decides not to renew their lease, or they go bankrupt, or they default or whatever happens, there's all types of scenarios. If that building isn't competitive with the rest of the market, you could be in a position where you have an asset that you can't release or sell at the number that you've originally budgeted for. Whereas that doesn't happen in multifamily, right? Like a, a, a two bedroom apartment is a two bedroom apartment, you might have to make some cosmetic improvements, you maybe have to do uh, some upgrading to the building here and there, but a, a, a two bedroom apartment is not going to be so different from any other two, two bedroom apartment that you can't rectify it in industrial real estate, you do run that risk. And so it's actually an interesting thing The you're talking about, you know, if you have to retrofit it for for the next tenant. So that falls to the owner of the real estate generally, and I'll tell you sort of the reason why I ask that is, I, uh, I'm, I'm a veterinary surgeon, that's sort of my day job. And I have a number of friends that I know that have opened practices and they've gone into buildings that were like, one example was a furniture store. Another example mm -hmm. was um, actually, I think like a, a, a manufacturing type building, like a, an mm -hmm. industrial type building. And, and they paid to retrofit it and turn it into a veterinary hospital while leasing the actual building. And so, is that just something you work out in the contract, you know, because as the owner, I guess, do, would you would have the opportunity to say, yeah, you can lease this space, but you have to do all the retrofitting. Is that I yeah, guess, what's yeah. the norm? I, I guess case by case basis is, is the easiest answer. And I know that's that's a bit of an aloof answer, but I would say given. So let's, let's look at two scenarios, I think, which helps clarified a little bit more. Let's say there's there's a building that isn't functional for for the tenant base as a whole. So going back to that original example, perhaps it was like a manufacturing facility that had custom components and it was built out in a way that accommodated that past tenant, but it's not conducive for the average tenant going forward. Uh, in that position, a landlord is almost certainly going to have to spend that money to bring it back to a rentable condition uh, for comparative to the market. Whereas on the on the vet scenario, and that that is common, like vets uh, is a good use of a company that could actually go into a flex space. So I, I'm guessing that the manufacturing building they went into was one of those typical flex buildings, it was zoned industrial, but it happened to be on a on a good location and uh, had some exposure, it probably worked out quite well for them. In that case, the landlord would probably take the position that the build out that they're going to be doing is going to be specific for them. So it's not going to necessarily leave any residual value for the next user because it's built out specifically for a vet. I, I, and it's also a function of the market to a large extent as well. If, if you've got a high vacancy rate and landlords just want to get tenants, they'll, they'll be a lot more receptive to participating in that build out, whether they give a tenant improvement allowance or whether they just help build the space out to their specifications. 
if it's a very low vacancy rate market, the landlord might say, we'll give it to you in a vanilla shell, like as is condition, we'll have it all ready to go. But any specific build outs to your use are, is going to be your responsibility. But that's going to ebb and flow with market conditions, type of the building, how confident the landlord is that they're going to get a better tenant or whether they just really want to pursue that tenant. There's a lot of variables that go into it. So I wouldn't say that there's a, there's a set answer uh, other than it's, it's, to some extent, it's a function of the market, and it's it's also going to be a lever. Uh, so you can you can ask any landlord to spend money on your space, and I'm sure those vets, if they really wanted to, they could have pushed the landlord to uh, to have that space built out for them, provided they're a good credit risk and and they had a history behind them. Most landlords will will entertain it, uh, providing they have the resources to. But they're going to look at that as a lever. So if the if the vets want them to spend that much money on the space, they're going to pull that lever on, on the other end, the rental rate's going to go up. Uh, you, you can't, you can't have everything. You can't have your cake and eat it too, uh, uh, as a tenant. So they could have asked the landlord to do it. And if the landlord was, had the resources and the financial uh, capacity to do it, they might've been willing to, but the offsetting factor is that they're going to charge a higher rate. So it might've just made more sense for the vets to do it. Uh, they might have saved some money on the construction. They probably wouldn't have had to pay a management fee on on the landlord overseeing that work. Uh, so probably still made economic sense for the for the vets to do it, but de- definitely moving parts that have to be accounted for. Okay. So I mean, and I guess that makes you know makes sense that it's like a case by case thing and whatever you know, and the the amount of the lease would be dependent on you know who's doing that work, right? All of that just kind of makes financial sense. So. Okay, so I want back to and you said that someone who's getting into uh, industrial real estate should be it should be scary, right? So, so what do you? How would if I and <laughs> this isn't an entirely hypothetical question? If I said to you, I want to I want to get into it, how would you guide me in in that capacity? So the first thing I I would say is is or suggest is to make sure you have a really good reason why you want to get into industrial. And, and that sounds probably obvious, but I think going beyond that surface level of just saying, well, you know, I, it's, it's interesting. I hear it about in the news and I, I, I want to get a good, good return. I, I think that the more important thing is, is why industrial is why does industrial need to be that vehicle as opposed to multifamily still being a very viable opportunity itself. And, and, and I think that that, that, that requires some introspection on on why. So, that, well, what is it about industrial that that is attractive beyond just saying some? I know a guy who did it and he he had some success with it. I think it requires someone actually going and digging into it a little bit more and and say, okay, well, let's let's actually look into the market a bit here. Let's read some recent market reports. Let's find out what's currently available. Let's get an idea on what cap rates are, or what properties are selling for per square foot, what the lease rates are. Uh, and then really starting to get a, a, an understanding of what industrial real estate is. And then there's strengths and there's limitations with it. But once someone actually goes through the motions of saying, okay, well, I've actually looked into this a little bit more. And this is something I'm very interested in pursuing. Then I think you found your why, right? I think you say that uh, these are the reasons why beyond just hearing a snippet or hearing a recommendation from, from a guy like me who's, who's saying it's a good investment. I think it, revolves, it involves peeling back that onion a little bit more. And, and to do that, I, I think it's just, it, it's, uh, it requires someone to be self-motivated to start reading a couple of books on it, uh, reading some articles. One a website that I recommend all the time is globestreet.com, uh, globest.com. 
And uh, they've got a ton of awesome resources. All you need to do is sign up for a free account. Uh, it doesn't cost any money. They break uh, uh, news articles into uh, categories. So you can just read industrial news. And if you were to commit to that for a while, drive through some industrial parks, get a better sense of what's happening in your market. And, and you had at the, at the very minimal level, have a better idea of what's what industrial real estate is and what's happening in the market. And, and you decided that's what you want to uh, pursue going forward. Then I would say, just start being, uh, be prepared to be patient, but start looking for opportunities. So look on brokerage websites, look on uh, classified, sometimes small owners put things on classified ads, or they might put a for sale sign up in front of their property. I would start going through the motions of looking at properties, start touring properties, start looking at their rent roll, start analyzing how leases are going to start coming up uh, and, and really just commit to being a student of the game. And I, th I, I think that there is tremendous opportunity and I think industrial is going to be a great asset class for the foreseeable future. But I also think that anyone considering this for, uh, to start right now has got, got to look at this, that it's, it's going to be several months before they're going to be in a position where where they even have a good understanding of what industrial is both on a macro level as well as on a micro level for their specific market it's going to take several months of, of work but the tr trade-off in my mind is that and you know this as well as i do that people don't like putting in work for this kind of stuff they they really like that low-hanging fruit and, I, and not to suggest that multifamily is the low-hanging fruit, but it's much more competitive. Uh, and I'm sure you see this in your market uh, as well as someone owns a few houses or, or you know, it could be a, a professional like, like a, a lawyer or a doctor that, that has some disposable money that they want to invest. The natural thing that they consider is multifamily. So that, that's a lot more competitive. But because industrial is, is more nuanced and there's more things to take into account, it's less competitive. There's just less people that are chasing uh, those deals. So if someone's willing to put in that time, put in that work, I, I personally think it's just a better investment vehicle than multifamily. And that's coming from a, from a position of having done both. And in terms of um, returns, right? That's, you, you know, you mentioned, uh, somebody said that the returns are good, my, or, you know, someone, and, and that's why I want to do it. So what, what do you, how do you feel the returns in a, you know, industrial versus multifamily or how do you think that that measures up, I guess, against the other asset classes? Yeah, on a strict cap rate basis first, and then maybe we could get into like an IRR, uh, strict cap rate basis, it, it varies considerably. Uh, but in my market, I see multifamily cap rates in that 4% range, give or take, uh, like a really good property, you might be sub four, something that needs work, maybe you're four and a half, five. Uh, and, and I think that that's pretty consistent. If you're in a really hot market, you might even see two and a half, 3% cap rates in multifamily. Whereas in industrial, uh, I, the most of the stuff that I've bought has been in that six and a half to seven and a quarter range. So you're automatically getting like 250, 300 basis points higher just on a cap rate basis. Now, not, not the best return metric to look at over the long haul. So if you look at an IRR basis, I think where multifamily has, as a good advantage is that you can traditionally get a higher loan to value 
mortgage uh, than you can in an industrial property. Yeah. So I think that that is a, a bit of a, an advantage in multifamily. But I also think that's offset by the fact that you're going to cash flow uh, more with a lower loan to value mortgage just by the nature you've got a lower payment. Right. So I, I, I would like to target somewhere in the mid teens uh, on, on a IRR, given a 10 year hold. Uh, and I, I, I think that a lot of multifamily guys are targeting similar. Yeah, uh, say that sounds about the same. Yeah, I, I think a lot of multifamily guys are, are there. I, I don't necessarily think that the returns are that much different, uh, to be honest with you. I, and I don't, I don't judge the merit of industrial simply on the returns. I think the returns are good. I think you can make those returns. Uh, but I, I judge it on the fact that it's just so much easier to manage. You're dealing with long-term tenants. Uh, you're dealing with companies that have uh, resources. Like you get to see their financial statements. You see how much money they have in the bank, how much they've been uh, allocating towards their rental expense. You get you get to do a pretty good underwriting as a landlord in commercial real estate, and then you don't have the same turnover. You don't have uh, the an overarching legislation, uh, which I know is different market to market, but a, a lot of municipalities will restrict you from just evicting a, a residential tenant after a month of not paying. There's a process that you have to go through to, to, to work through those channels. And rightfully so no, no family wants to be kicked out onto the street because they missed a month of payment. Uh, but in commercial, it's traditionally just contract law that you're governed by. So you've, you've, you've got different options of, of recourse uh, uh, for distress situations in a, as a commercial landlord versus multifamily. So there's, there's all those things that I just like better about the process of, of investing in industrial real estate, I think, and, and I, I suspect most, most investors that have done both would say the same, the returns are actually probably pretty comparable. Yeah. And I guess that's what it, that's in part why it interests me is that, you know, if, if the returns are the same, wouldn't it be nice to have less work involved in terms of the management and stuff like that, where it's just, I assume most of them are triple net leases and you're just kind of, yep. you get someone in place and they pay the rent and that's it. You don't, you know, until it comes time to renew a lease or get a new tenant in there, it's, it seems like it's fairly hands-off. So, and, and as you mentioned, you know, if you're talking a minimum of a three-year lease versus like a six month or a one year lease in a, in a, a multifamily tenant that that makes a lot of sense just in terms of ease of ease of use or you know ease of management so well let's talk a little bit about you know kind of your you went from being a broker and then you said i think in 2015 maybe or 2014 that you started to actually uh purchase a deal a year so how did you what made you decide to flip that switch kind of maybe talk us talk to us about that you know kind of mindset shift or you know like i said for me as the coming from the investor side i see the brokers and it's like you get first look at everything like i'm always like well how do they not just buy them all but it's obviously you can't buy them all but i mean i think it's it's reasonable to to think about like what that transact or that transition looks like yeah, and, and you're right. There is an inherent conflict of interest there. So I've I've always taken the approach that I don't want to compete with my clients. I'm looking at stuff that uh, that either they've had the opportunity to 
uh, to look at, or they just weren't interested in, in general. Uh, so I, I don't want to compete with my clients because I think that's a, that's a gray area. Just I'm not comfortable in. Uh, but you're right. I, I I see a lot of deals just because I do this every day. This is this is all I do for a living is, is essentially look at deals. So I, I I started as a broker in 05 and bought the first property. I believe it was late 2014. So it was almost 2015. I knew that I wanted to buy property much earlier, but it just came down to financial capacity to be able to do it. Uh, industrial properties just require more capital upfront than, than a small uh, uh, multifamily would. So it just took me more time to build up that capital. And then we went through the, the credit crunch in 2009, 2010, and there's a lot of uncertainty in the market in there. Uh, and, and then I was just, I was very patient. Uh, so I, I probably started looking in 2011, 2012, and it just, I passed on a lot of opportunities. I'm, I'm very conservative by nature. I don't want to be, uh, I I'm, I'm much more consider the downside risk than I, than I look at the future upside. I think that take care of your downside risk first. And so long as you've got holding power and time on your side, there's, there's a lot that can come from paying down a mortgage, growing top line revenue and getting some market appreciation, uh, that, that the real estate can be very attractive, even if you make a mistake. Time has a way of ironing out mistakes. Uh, so, but I like to look at downside risk protection first. So I, I looked past a number of properties before I was even willing to do it and just happened to come across one in 2014 that, that made sense. And uh, that's, that's the one that I got started by. Uh, that, that kind of emphasizes what, what I was saying earlier, but it's, it's a patience game. I think someone really needs to have a thorough understanding of what the market is. If for no other reason, then they're hedging that downside risk. Uh, because I, I, I could tell uh, scary stories of well, guys that have lost a lot of money uh, in this business by, by rushing into something or not thinking through everything that could go wrong. And that's, that's the worst thing an, an investor can do in my mind is, is make a rushed decision uh, just because they, they heard something about it or they had a good feeling about it. I, I still think that uh, missing out on an opportunity uh, is still better than making the wrong opportunity or purchasing the wrong, wrong space, I should say. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I guess you don't, I mean, <laughs> you didn't lose any real money by not buying something. You no, I, I mean, you maybe, maybe a little bit of opportunity costs, but yeah, you don't. Yeah. Or, or, or like some soft costs too. Like you might have, you might've spent a bit of money on reports and a little bit of time, but that's pale in comparison to uh to losing 10, 15, 20% on an asset. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so you, you said you started with uh, a 2000 square foot. Um, yeah. 2000 square foot uh, industrial condo. So it would, it'd be a, it'd be a manufacturing condo is, is how I would classify it. And I actually still own it. Uh, so that's uh, I've bought and sold some other stuff uh, since, but I still actually own this one. Uh, it had a, a, a kitchen equipment repair company that was in there. Uh, when, when I bought it and they were in there for five years. And I think I bought it with six months into the lease so that four and a half years or so in there. And their whole business was just repairing kitchen equipment. So restaurant would, uh, would have a stove breakdown and these guys would be dispatched and they'd go try to fix it on site. And if they couldn't, they'd bring it back to their shop and replace parts or whatever they had to do. And, uh, I, I, I use that story actually, because it, it illustrates just how diverse the industrial real estate market is. Like nobody would think that, uh, all this kitchen equipment breaks down and somebody has to fix it. And there's a warehouse 
full of broken down uh, kitchen equipment and parts all over. And that's what we had in there. Uh, they, they since retired and closed down their business and we, we backfilled it with a machine shop. Uh, but that, that's been a great little bay for us. It's uh, we, we've, we had one month of vacancy uh, in the last seven years where the, where we had to uh, basically just do some cosmetic work for the machine shop that moved in there. And that was it. We had one month of vacancy and I've probably been at that bay 10 times tops. I don't even know if I've been there 10 times actually in the seven years that we've had it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's about as low maintenance as I think you can, you can uh, expect with any, with any investment really. Um, that's great. So then, and this may not apply to all of them, but are you syndicating or are you just, you're sort of buying these with yourself and partners? How, how are you? Um, you know, yeah, your, we, your we haven't syndicated yet, uh, which Part, part of it was just an intentional process where we wanted to, we, we wanted to be active investors. I, I've got one main partner, him and I uh, are in on everything together. And then we've got different partners. So to some extent, we've brought in outside capital, but it's all been very close friends or family. And we'd start an LLC or, or an incorporated company for every individual property. So we didn't, we didn't syndicate it where we took a lift and we sponsored the deal. Uh, it's, we've got all of our own capital in it uh, as well. Uh, but at some point I, I do want to consider that syndication route because I, I think that that is, I think that's an attractive investment vehicle for, for people that want to invest passively without having to actively source deals, manage it, oversee it, and then dispose of it. So it, it is something that I will explore, but our, our, our intent was we wanted to invest our own money. We wanted to build our, our own portfolio. And then a, a, pro, a, a byproduct of that is that we get to build all this experience as well. So we can show what our track record has been and show what our losses and, and wins have been uh, side by side to help give people a little bit more confidence. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I, I'm uh, mainly just curious. I, I actually really like the joint venture model, so I think it's it's a it's a much easier process than syndicating is too. So it's kind of like you, just a group of of business partners or friends, family, whatever it is, just going out yep. and getting these things. Um, no so, securities lawyer, no, none of the other high costs right. and accounting and reporting that comes with it. Right. Yeah, it's, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of benefits. <laughs> ancillary services when it comes to syndicating. So. After that, you said you said you were getting a deal a year. What what other sort of things have you added to your portfolio there? Yeah, so we we had another industrial condo that we that we bought uh, right after, uh, and ended up doing a, a blanket mortgage on the two of those. Uh, we since sold that second condo, uh, but we've added uh, that those are the only two condos that we've done. We've we've since just increased the size of it. So we've got uh, a multi tenant building about 20 minutes from our, from our uh, main office, which is, uh, that was the next one that we added. Uh, we added a single tenant, a manufacturing property, uh, which is about 16,000 feet on four acres, uh, leased to a single tenant fortune 1000 company that's in there. Uh, that, that one's interesting from the standpoint that we've got a lot of equity in there and we've got one tenant. So if that tenant, uh, doesn't renew, that could be, a that could be an interesting conversation at, at some point in the next three years. Yeah. Uh, and then we bought, uh, we've since bought two more buildings. We closed on that one uh, that we, that I mentioned earlier for 4.1. And then we bought uh, uh, three partners and myself, we bought our building, which our, our brokerage office is actually located out of. So it's a multi-tenant uh, flex building. Uh, so it's, we've got like a hot tub group in there, a uh, cabinet group, some, some more quasi-industrial users, uh, and then our offices in there. 
And that's, that's probably the, the most ambitious project that I've ever done because uh, we, we bought it for 3 million and we've put in nearly that much into the renovation, full exterior uh, facade, uh, new roof. Uh, we demolished our office inside and took over the neighboring space and rebuilt the whole thing from, from, from ground up. It's uh, so we're about 7,000 square feet of brand new office development in there. Uh, the exteriors underway that's behind schedule, but it's supposed to be done pretty soon. Uh, that, that was a very ambitious project. And, and that's the one where, where I've got the most amount of my own money into it. And it was just, it was a big project taking it from like an old tired industrial building to like a modern, really nice looking building. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that, I don't think I'm missing anything on that. Now I have a, I have a couple residential properties that I've just had for a number of years, which I don't consider necessarily in my main portfolio. Uh, but yeah, that the plan is to keep adding property years and until we run out of money or the bank tells us no. And this is all in Canada. This is all local to you. All, all in Western Canada. And, and my philosophy has always been to invest in markets that, that I just know. Uh, so these are every property that I have is within 20 minute drive of, of my office. Great. Great. I mean, that's, it makes it easier from a management standpoint, managing, especially that large project. I mean, that's being right there and being able to be kind of hands-on when you need to be anyway is, is uh, a really nice, a nice system. Um, well, that's, I mean, that's, that's very cool. I, I, I do like, like I said, I really like the, the joint venture of a business model and the, the, you know, sort of ability to just almost just work your way up there. Right. Like you said, start with yeah. the, the smaller space and then just kind of get, get bigger and bigger. And, and it, it allows you to, to grow, uh, maybe not at, you know, you might be able to scale faster if you're, you know, doing syndication and things like that, but also you probably own a much smaller piece of it. So there's, there's a, a million ways to be successful in real estate, which is really kind of the beauty of it. Yeah. And if you're a GP that doesn't have any of your own capital in there, you're just, you sponsored the deal and took the lift uh, uh, from, from the LPs, then, then you, then you work for people. Then, then essentially you've, you've got people that rightfully so want to know exactly what's happening and yeah. they've got expectations yeah. on it. So you, you, you've got a lot more accountability uh, versus being directly invested with your other partners who you, who we also know quite well, we don't have a single investor alongside us that we don't know very well uh, versus raising money from uh, outside investors. I mean, there is just it's a whole different ball game in terms of, of how yeah. you have to account for it and manage it. So I, I, I agree that the JV model has been, has been very good to us so far. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, like I said, this, this is very interesting to me. I, I don't want to, keep you all keep asking my questions all day long about this but um why don't we switch gears a little bit and we'll kind of get to the section of the show where i i'll ask you the questions that i ask um every guest um and the first one chad is is based on the name of the show being know your why what is your why kind of what what drives you forward in success and and kind of you know building building this life that you've created so I'll, I say this somewhat facetiously because it, it might come across as, as, as a bit awkward, but I'm temporarily motivated to be permanently lazy. It's <laughs> kind of the say, saying that, that I go by and, and I've been saying that for 20 plus years now. So I, I don't know if the temporary part is, so temporary is that relevant anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, I, I say it facetiously because there's some element of that where, where I am working very hard. I, I, I'm trying to do everything I can uh, to, to build a future where 
where I don't have the stress that comes with having to always make money. And, and I think in some capacity, I'll always be interested in real estate. I'll always want to have things that I own and manage, uh, and that, that will never go away. And, and I've, I've been very fortunate to have some really good clients that I can see working with for a number of years still too. Uh, but at some point I, I do want to be in a position where I don't have that, those shackles of having to work and having to make money. I, I want to be in a position where that passive income that I have more than supports my lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, that's exactly, it, it's, that's why it's really cool that you're, you're, you know, on the broker side and also, you know, investing, so it's it's almost like wearing two different hats, really. But uh, they're obviously related. But the, but the broker side is very transactional, and then you have uh, you can you know take that the money that you make and then put it into these you know passive opportunities. So that, like you said, uh, it's hard to hard to think of twenty years as temporarily. But <laughs> but it's kind of what we're all doing in real estate is is trying to get to. I don't think any of us think we're never going to work again or something, but it's like you, you put in the extra work in the beginning to build the foundation and then uh, get to the point where you, you can have, whether it's be lazy or just <laughs> have control of your time. That's, you know, that that's the ultimate goal, right? It's not about having yep. just piles of money in a room somewhere. It's like, just it's freedom. Absolutely. You know? Freedom is temporarily motivated to to be permanently free. Maybe that's a better way of describing it. Right, exactly. It. Yeah. That's, yeah. You, you can adjust your, <laughs> adjust your <laughs> mantra, but it, I mean, it, it makes total sense. And I, and I, uh, what you said and it, it, it resonates in it. And I think it's, it's actually a very, very nice sort of concise way to say what I think almost every real estate investor is after in terms of just the, the, I'm going to work really hard now because I'm looking at what the future, what the future, my future life looks like. So yeah. um, that's cool. Uh, second question, um, tell us something about yourself that that maybe isn't common knowledge, um, you know, something, uh, a hobby, a special skill that you have anything that you're interested in that that maybe um, not everybody knows about you. Yeah, it's, I, I, I love Lego, which is probably probably the, the nerdiest thing I, I've got two two young boys. And as they were growing up, I, I was a big Lego fan when I was young too, but there was probably a good 20 year uh, stretch where I didn't do Lego at all. Yeah. And having, having two young boys, I rediscovered my love for Lego. And I don't think I have, I don't think I have anything in here, but I've got another uh, bookshelf uh, not too far from here where I've got like the Merce container ship. I've got some of the architecture ones like Falling Water and Farnsworth House. Uh, I've got I've got so much, I've got all the skylines from the architecture. We did the Bugatti uh, last year. Uh, my kids' rooms are full with Lego. Like I've, I've, it's, it's not even a hobby. It's probably a problem. <laughs> How old are your kids? Uh, 11 and eight now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. My, mine are uh, about to turn three and, and seven months old. So they're, they're still, they have the, the, the Legos that are like this bit, you know what I mean? The giant block Legos. Yeah. Uh, but it is funny what, you know, most of us as adults, you, you kind of get away from playing with toys, but then it's like, I get my kids stuff. And it's sometimes I'm like, it's actually pretty cool. Like, <laughs> we just got our son this little, I mean, it's like the most basic of remote control cars that you can have, yeah. but it's fun. Like everyone's while me and my wife will be driving it around the kitchen. And he's like, that's my car. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a <laughs> silly thing, bed. but it's like, it lets you get back to, you know, childhood is, is a fun time. So it's kind of like, I, I, totally can see uh 
I didn't even know that that all those Legos, like the architecture, that sounds really cool to me. Like I don't, some of the Lego stuff I see, I'm like, I don't really have an interest in building that, but like doing doing the architecture pieces and stuff like that, I think would actually be really amazing. So I, I, I'll look forward to that someday when my kids get a little bit older. Yeah, the the really cool one is the Empire State Building. Uh, so they, they've done a couple over the years, but the most, the newest one is two and a half feet tall. And it wow. is, it's incredible. It was, it was just fun to build. So yeah, yeah. that's, that's something that, uh, that a lot of people don't know is I'm a full on Lego nerd. Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. I like it. Um, all right. So uh, if people hear this and they want to reach out to you, what's, what's the best way to, to touch base? We'll put uh, in the show uh, notes, whatever you want as well. Yeah. E- uh, email is always great. Uh, uh, Griffiths, C-R-E at gmail.com. And then uh, if people want to check out any of my videos on YouTube, I talk about industrial estate uh, extensively. Uh, just try to share any knowledge that I can. Uh, I think I'm really the only person that's talking about it somewhat consistently. So if you just search industrial real estate on YouTube, uh, you'll find my channel. Uh, I'll send it to you as well, Jason. We have, I think we the have shows. the link. So we'll, we'll okay. that'll be in the show notes for sure. Um, okay. Either way, but yeah, that's like, uh, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's a fascinating asset class to me. But I, I, and you obviously know better, but it, it does, it se- seems like it's not, not talked about nearly as much. As- it's, it's not, it's, it's crazy, actually, how little information is out there. And this is, this is, in the, we're in the modern age, we're 2022, you would think you could right. find information about virtually any topic you want online. And I would challenge people to, uh, to find find one really good book on industrial real estate. I would challenge someone to find it because it doesn't exist. And I read everything possible that has industrial in the title. And I'd challenge someone to find one good book on it. So it's, it's crazy. It's uh, for whatever reason, uh, that is an inherent natural barrier to entry to investing in this business is that there's just not a, a playbook on what someone can follow. But for those people that do turn over every rock and, and, go through the motions and, and become experts in it. I just think it's a, it's a wonderful investment vehicle, but I, I caveat that by saying have a healthy amount of skepticism and fear going into it because there's, there's a lot that can go wrong too. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, I'm, I'm placing down the challenge here for you to write that book seems as, <laughs> as though you have the knowledge. So, uh, maybe that's your, <laughs> That can be in your future uh, future list of goals or future to dos. You can be the the guy, the foremost expert on industrial real estate, and, and put out the book. It'd be another uh, passive stream of income for you. Yeah, it might might be a five year plan. It's I, right, I don't know go. if I've yeah, got the bandwidth it, to do it right now, but at some <laughs> point, yeah, it's if somebody doesn't, uh, I I might take on that challenge down the road. There you go. That'll be that'll be cool. I will certainly pick it up. Um, last question for you, Chad is. What, what advice would you give to someone, uh, you know, maybe, maybe a few years behind you in terms of their uh, investing, um, you know, career and thing, what, what would you tell them to kind of help them uh, succeed? Do you like one thing or can I give a couple? You can give a couple. Yeah. Okay. Cause I've got a few that like instantly jumped to mind there. there uh, first thing I'd say is, is try to partner up with somebody uh, not necessarily like in multifamilies that is imperative as it would be in, in industrial, but if you want to consider industrial as, as an, uh, a vehicle going forward, I would highly recommend finding someone to partner with. And that can be someone that's already done it. That can be someone that has complementary skills, uh, like a lawyer or an accountant or a, a mortgage broker, somebody that has some insight into the industrial real estate market that perhaps covers any blind spots you have, uh, I think is, is 
probably the single biggest recommendation I'd make to a new investor is don't go in it alone. Uh, like, like I said, I've had partners in, in everything uh, that I've done, and I'm very grateful that, that I have. Uh, not only did it just give us more capacity to, to buy, but it's just having somebody check those blind spots and identify things that you might not even be thinking of and just brainstorm ideas. I, that'd be the first thing that I'd recommend. Uh, and then uh, two more quick things. I'd, I'd commit to being a, an expert in the market. I, I think that the, the, and you could parallel this pretty easily. Uh, picture one guy that has some money, sold a couple properties, has a million dollars in the bank, wants to invest in an industrial property and just finds one that he likes and buys it. And contrast him to someone that goes and learns everything that they can about the market, studies market reports, reads all the news, reads all the trends, has a really good sense of all the deals that have closed, all the markets, that, all the tenants that are in the market, everything that's happening that the, the waves and everything that's going on in the market and they're patient and they, they look at a number of properties and then they buy one that they've strategically chosen. Who's going to do better over a 10 year holding period. Unless that first investor investor has a lot of luck on his side, I'd, I'd, I'd pick investor B every time. So I, I think being a student of the game is, is the best thing that you can do. And then I, I would just focus on building as many relationships as you can. Uh, so get to know, lawyers that are active, mortgage brokers, uh, co commercial brokers in your market. Uh, just get to know as many people as you can and just have regular conversations. And it could be something as simple as, hey, have you come across any good deals uh, worth looking at lately? And, you know, I'm always looking to buy. I'm an active, uh, active buyer looking to, to secure something. If you could just send me whatever you have. Uh, I think you combine those three things about having a strategic partner, uh, being an ex expert in the market and knowing as many people as you can in your specific market that you're looking to invest in, I think you've got as good of a chance as, as succeeding as an investor as anybody. I, I'd put that investor's track record up against a very sophisticated investor uh, just because of that commitment to to those three things. So that those, and I don't think I don't think one being really good at one replaces the other two. I think all three of those kind of have to move in tandem. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's great advice. And I, honestly, I would say that that can apply to any asset class. If you do yep. those three things in whatever asset class you want to invest in, you, I don't know that you have a choice, but to be successful. I mean, those, those are, those are the key components. So uh, phenomenal advice. And uh, this has been a really great conversation. I really appreciate your time. Appreciate you having you on. I think, um, really a lot of great information and, and, and will help people, you know, anybody who's interested in industrial real estate and really the ways to get started. They can, and, you know, it's great that you're putting out all the, the content on your YouTube channel, because I think that'll be extremely helpful as well. So, so thank you for all of that. And thank you for your time today, Chad. Yeah, my pleasure. Great questions. I, I love chatting about it. So yeah, thanks again for having me on the show too. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, I guess we'll sign out for today. Um, thank you everybody for listening and have a great day. Thanks. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, 
The Know Your Why podcast is made for you. 